All right, let's open up First Chronicles chapters, tw- chapter 23. And we're going to try and go through 23, 24, and 25 tonight. This is kind of like the beginning of First Chronicles where we have lists of a bunch of names and a bunch of positions. And so have grace and mercy on me as I pronounce these names, okay? <laughs> I'm glad Pastor George isn't here tonight. <laughs> You'd probably give me a hard time, but we're going to get through it. We'll just download it later, and he'll send me a dirty text or something. It's not going to work out right. Anyway, so all right, as we get into First Chronicles 23, we're going to see the purpose of this chapter is to kind of set the Levites uh, and, and see what kind of works they were going to do with inside the temple. Uh, we're going to see kind of the organization of the, of the priests and also of those who were going to be worshipers inside the temple. And we're going to see that there is a lot of work that has to be done. We're going to read over some of the, the numbers and the amount of Levites they had and the amount of priests they had and, and how they would divide it up. It just it boggles my mind how that many people had to be there to run this temple. I don't think we can, we can imagine in our mind too much how big this temple actually was. It, it was a pretty big temple. And uh, it, it took a lot of people to run the temple and to do the ins and outs of what needed to be done every day. So we see David, he's starting to get towards the end of his life now, and he's going to begin to organize all the religious uh, and civil por- portions of Israel's day-to-day life. And, and we're going to see him start this here. In the verse 23, uh, chapter 23, verse 1, it reads, So when David was old and full of his days, he made his son Solomon king over Israel. And he gathered together all, all, the, all the leaders of Israel and the priests and the Levites. Now the Levites were numbered from the age of 30 years and above, and the number of individual males were 38,000. That is a big number of Levites to have. Can you imagine 38,000 people in this church working? No, we probably couldn't even fit 38,000 in the building, but we see David starting to get towards the end of his life. And if you remember in 1 Kings uh, chapter 1, uh, when it started off, he was about to hand over the kingdom to Solomon. Took a little help from his wife and, uh, and Nathan to kind of get him to hand that over to Solomon. Had to remind him of a promise that he had made to Bathsheba uh, to relinquish his reigns. But eventually he does hand it over to Solomon. He's getting towards the end of his age. He wants to make sure that Israel is set up for success. And we, and we see that as, as he's, he's starting here. He's talking in Numbers 8. They talk about the Levites up to this point served between the ages of 30 and 50. We're going to see later in the chapters that he's going to change that age up a little bit. And we'll see the reasons for that. But I'm looking at this. He has the, they, the Levites served between 30 and 50. And from about the ages 25 to 30, they would be in training to learn the ins and outs of what they had to do. And those who were over the age of 50 would actually train the younger ones on the duties. So I'm looking at this, this gap of uh, these ages, and it just shows you that God can use us at any age. We look at Abraham and Sarah, who we've been learning about on Sundays, and, and a- Abraham was 99, Sarah was 90, and they, had the ch- and they had a child. God was able to use them even in their older age. Uh, we, look, we look at, at Moses. He wasn't no spring chicken, chicken either. Whenever he was used by God. And uh, God can use us at any age, no matter how young or how old. 
he can use us. And if we're older, we need to start teaching the young, building their faith up, teaching them the ways they should go, just like these, these guys over 50 would teach those who were at the age of 25 to be able to do the duties that were required of them in the temple. And uh, the younger the younger people, as you know, I'm, I'm kind of I feel like I'm in that in between stage right now. I'm in my forties, so uh, but the younger people needs to learn from those who have a lot more wisdom and be willing to learn. And, and that's how the church is supposed to work. We're supposed to take those with all the wisdom and, and the knowledge and experience, and those who are inexperienced but thirsty to learn. We're supposed to come together and build a strong family of believers. And uh, that's what they were doing here with the Levites. Those who were older would build up those who were younger, and then they were able to serve the Lord in the capacity that was asked of them. In verses 4 through 5, it says, Of the, 20, of the 24,000, or uh, of these 24,000, were to look after the work of the house of the Lord. 6,000 were officers and judges. 4,000 were gatekeepers, and 4,000 praised the Lord with musical instruments which I made, said David, for giving praise. So here he's breaking them off. You have the 24,000. They were going to be uh, the, the ones who oversee the work of, of the house of God. All the little ins and outs, cleaning instruments, preparing the altar, uh, preparing for services, whatever it may have been, they were going to take care of that. We had 24,000 of those. 6,000 had responsibility for interpreting the law as officers and judges. So this is your legal department. You know, they're going to tell you what the law of God says, and they're going to judge on whether you're, you're, you're performing the law of God or you're going against the law of God. So that, that would be your legal department. Then we have 4,000 who were uh, doorkeepers, basically your security. They weren't going to let anything that was unholy come into the house of the Lord. They were going to watch who was coming in and who was going out. Then it said that David appointed 4,000 Levites to full-time worship to praise the Lord with instruments he himself designed. So we look at David. David, we know David as a great warrior. We see all his accomplishments throughout uh, 1 and 2 Samuel. We see some of his accomplishments we looked at here in Chronicles that they uh, revisited. But he was also an inventor of musical instruments. He just says right there in verse 4 that he said, David... Uh, that he was going to use instruments which I made, said David, for giving praise. So he made his own instruments. And he, we know he was a, a musician himself. We know how his music would calm down Saul whenever Saul was getting uptight and, and, and worried. So David had a heart of worship to God. And this is just another example of how he would lend his skills to those who were going to be worshipers of God, 4,000 of them in all. So it's quite a number of uh, worshipers uh, there. Now, verses 6 through 23, we're not, going to, we're not going to read through that because it ends up being like the beginning of the book, just a list of a bunch of names and stuff. But we, it shows that these Levites were divided into three groups to bring about the effective, efficient organize, uh, organization of their service in the house of the Lord. So they were divided up into these groups to be able to serve the Lord. And so there was an order to what was being done here, and David was bringing an order to the temple worship, and to the temple service. Now, the scriptures that we're going to be reading now, it says the scriptures now carefully explain the responsibility of the Levites, also making it clear that David in his dying days altered the ages of the Levites. We had just talked about that 
that the service as a Levite was going to start at 30 years old, but he's going to change it, we'll see in a minute, to 20 years old. And he's going to give a reason for that uh, pretty soon. And a lot of these, these uh, is written in Chronicles because we have to keep in mind this book is written for those who are coming back from Babylon. They were coming back out of exile. So a lot of this was, was set in place to be a structure for how they needed to reinstate the priesthood, how they reinstate the Levites, and also who, which families were part of the Levites and which families were part of the priest, uh, priestlyhood. They needed this as direction and instruction form when they were to come, uh, come back. So in verse 24, it says, These were the sons of Levi by, the, by their father's houses, the heads of the father's houses as they were counted individually by the number of their names, who did the work for the service of the house of the Lord from the age of 20 years and above. For David said, The Lord God of Israel has given rest to his people, that they may dwell in Jerusalem forever. And also to the Levites, they shall no longer carry the tabernacle or any of the articles for its service. For by the last words of David, the Levites were numbered from 20 years old and above. Because their duty was to help the sons of Aaron in the service of the house of the Lord, in the courts and in the chambers, in purifying all the holy things and the work of the service of the house of God. So here we see David changing that age to 20. And you got to think these Levites, part of what their duty was when they were in the wilderness was to take the, the tabernacle whenever they moved, to fold it up, to put it all together, and to carry it to the next site they were going to be in. So now that it was going to be in a permanent place with the temple in Jerusalem, he added more to help out with the duties inside the temple. No longer were they going to have to travel around and carrying these tents. Now all the duties can be concentrated just in the temple. They had a permanent spot of worship. And David was setting uh, this up here. And I like the fact that he did lower the age down to 20. It just makes me think of some of the young leaders that need to be raised up in our church, especially in this day and age we're living at. A lot of times, those of us who are getting older, we can't necessarily reach out to those in this younger generation. They speak a different language sometimes. So having younger, younger people raised up and, and, and lowering that age like David did to let some of our younger believers to minister to those who are of the same age is a good thing. And, and I pray that God would raise up a younger generation to start doing that for a revival would come on our country. Amen. All right, verse 29, it says, Both with the showbread and the fine flour, for again offering with the unleavened cakes and what is baked in the pan with what is mixed and with all kinds of measures and sizes to stand every morning to thank and praise the Lord and likewise at evening. Now, I'm just observing this in verse 29. We talk about baking these cakes and everything. The temple had to have smelled pretty good. All these cakes and all these breads they're baking and then the sacrifice they're making, they're, they're eating this meat mostly after the sacrifices. So it's not like some of this meat is going to waste. It had the smell of barbecue and a bakery in there. And that's just kind of a side note, but I, I see this and that's, that's what I'm thinking, imagining what the smell of this place was probably like. 
And in verse 30, it says that they would stand every morning to thank and praise the Lord, and likewise at evening. Another responsibility would to be praising the Lord all day and all night. They would stand at the, at the gate, I mean, at the, uh, at the entrance of the sanctuary and just praise him. This ministry was exclusive to, to Christ, to, to the Lord. It wasn't, we think of ministry sometimes, we think about ministering to people often. But we never think about that ministry to minister to the Lord. Just to worship him day and night. And this is what these, these people had the privilege of doing. Was to sit there and worship him day and night. You know, Paul, Paul tells us to pray continuously, right? To continuously be in, in an attitude of prayer. I think we can add to that and say continuously be in an attitude of worship towards the Lord as well. That can all be incorporated together. And these guys outwardly were able to do that. What we need to be doing inwardly, constantly being praising the Lord and giving him worship and giving him praise because he's worthy of it all. And these guys had the privilege to do that out in the open. Verses 31, it says, in, at every, uh, And at every presentation of the burnt offering to the Lord on the Sabbath and on the new moons, and on, on the set feasts for numbers according to the ordinance governing them regularly before the Lord, and, the, and that they should attend to the needs of the tabernacle of meeting, the needs of the holy place, and the needs of the sons of Aaron, uh, their brethren, in the work of the house of the Lord. So here we see more of the temple structure. You would have the priest and the high priest that would be here, kind of acting as, as our high priest, Jesus Christ. They would be that mediator between God and man at this point. Uh, the priests are kind of like the uh, elders of the New Testament, you can kind of say. And uh, they were men who ministered to the, pe- to the people on behalf of the Lord. And they would also intercede to the Lord on behalf of the people. So they were that go-between. And remember when Christ died on a cross, that curtain was ripped down. There was no longer did we have to have, go to man to get to God. But he opened up and invited us to come straight to him right in his throne room now. So he's kind of, the high priest would kind of act as that go-between between man and God. And then we look at the Levites. Uh, these Levites were kind of like uh, uh, the present-day ministry of the deacons within the church. Um, it's interesting that the Levites were to keep charge of the priests, so they would also help the priests. It was kind of a check and balance between the two. They kind of kept each other in check, and they would help the priests in whatever, whatever they needed. Um, now, we're going to go on to more of this, but you read through some of this, and if you just sit down and read it, it can seem really dull. Just a bunch of names. This is what they were doing. This is what this section was doing. Just kind of give a repetitive list. But we have to understand in this that this was to reestablish those coming back from Babylon. We said it earlier. This is reestablishing them. And I know there's moments in our lives that our lives are just dull. feel like nothing is going on in our lives. I don't know if God's moving or not. Things aren't horrible, but they're not great. And these are the times that preparation is being made for the future. And that's exactly what's going on here. David is making preparations for the future of Israel. And these lists and chronicles is nothing but preparation for the future of Israel when they come back into the land from Babylon. 
So whenever you, you reach that dull point in our life, just, just realize, especially if you're a believer in Christ, he's prepping for your future. So that's, that's all it is. Let's go to chapter 24. So in chapter 23, we talked about the Levites. Chapter 24, we're going to talk about uh, the priest. Uh, they were the descendants of Aaron. Remember, he's Moses' brother. He's the one that was going to speak for, for Moses. Remember, Moses had a stuttering problem or couldn't talk very well. And God said, okay, we're going to use your brother Aaron to talk for you. So that's where the priesthood came through. And in verse 1 it says, Now these are the divisions of the sons of Aaron. The sons of Aaron were Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. And Nadab and Abihu died before their father and had no children. Therefore Eleazar and Ithamar ministered as priests. Then David with Zadok... On, uh, of the sons of Eliezer and Ahimelech of the sons of Ithamar divided them according to the schedule of their service. There were more leaders found on the sons of Eliezer than of the sons of Ithamar, and thus they were divided. Among the sons of Eliezer were sixteen heads of their fathers' houses and eight heads of their fathers' houses among the sons of Ithamar. Thus they were divided by lot, one group. As another, uh, as another, for there were officials of the sanctuary and officials of the house of God from the son of Eliezer and from the sons of Ithamar. So we see here that they were divided in lots. And in, uh, Solomon said in Proverbs 18, 18, that casting lots causes contention to cease. So they would cast it. Whosever number would come up, that would be the section they would they would have to go to. There was no arguing about it. I think about this with my two daughters. Often I have to have them do something of the sorts. They both want to ride in the front seat with me. Okay, you're going to argue about that? Let me write a number down. Pick a number between 1 and 10. Closest one rides in the front. Or something along those lines just to kind of get the contention to kind of cease and the bickering to stop. So this is one of the, the more fair ways, I guess you could say, that they were able to separate these duties and times and places. And we think about Acts 126, where they, 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 rolled, they, they rolled lots to figure out who was going to take Judas' spot. So I'm thinking maybe they got that idea from Proverbs or something when they, whenever they read that, or maybe even this particular packet, uh, passage. So they did that. Now we're going to read verse 6, and it says, And the scribes, Shemaiah, the son of Nathaniel, one of the Levites wrote them down before the king, the leader, leaders, Zadok the priest, Ahimelech, the son of Abiathar, and the heads of the father's house of the priests and Levites, one father's house taken from Eliezer and one from Ithamar. So the dividing of, of, of these courses or division of priests were, were done. And, and we just talked about, about this being done fairly. And being and, and done done in the sight of God, and many of these names that we're not going to read right now, you'll see them later in Scripture in uh, Ezra two thirty six to uh, thirty nine. You'll see many of those uh, came back with them from exile. Some of the uh, family members came with them back from exile. So a lot of these names you do see again. In verse eleven, it says the uh, the ninth to Jeshua, the tenth to Shechaniah, the eleventh to Eli Eshib, the twelfth to Jakim, the thirteenth 
Oh, I'm sorry, I wasn't going to read that. Let's just talk about that. <laughs> I do apologize. Uh, but the priests here, they were separated, separated into 24 courses or divisions. And they were about 6,000 men in each of these courses. And each course served for about two weeks. So they would go in, do the service of the Lord inside the temple for two weeks. Then they would go home to their families until their next time would come up. And many of these, they, when they would go home, you would ask yourself, well, what did they do if they weren't in the service of, of the Lord? What would they go back and do? They had other jobs. They were leaders. They were teachers, counselors in the cities, wherever they were, wherever they were at. So it's kind of, I look at this kind of like a, um, maybe not to that extent, but like the National Guard or Reserves. They go for a weekend or they go for two weeks, but yet they're back in their communities afterwards, serving, working amongst the people. So you see them doing their two weeks here then going back to their communities and being leaders and, and, and motivators and counselors and whatever kind of jobs they had. They would go back to their communities to do that. So all those finally named cast lots to be determined, uh, determined the priestly courses along with their brothers and their descendants of Aaron's. They did it solemnly and in the presence of the king and of Zadok and all these people. So they did it in the presence of people to where they couldn't go back and say, well, it wasn't fair. I didn't want to work this week. I wanted to work next week. They couldn't say it. It was all fair. And we look at this and we say, well, we see all this information about the priests, and we might say, wow, what, how, why is this important? Why is this important to even know about all of this? And if y'all could turn to Luke chapter 1. We're going to talk about someone here. Luke chapter 1, verse 5, we're going to start. Luke chapter 1, verse 5, and it starts, There was in the day of Herod, the king of Judah, a certain priest named Zacharias, of the division of Abijah. We talked about those divisions. We see it come to light right here in Scripture. Of the division of Abijah, his wife was the daughter of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinance of the Lord blameless. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. So it was that while he was uh, serving as priest before God in the order of his division, which was set back in this time, According to the custom of the priesthood, his lot failed to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. 
He will also go before him in the spirit of the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he lingered so long at the temple. But when he came out, he could not speak to them, and they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned uh, to them and remained speechless. So it was, as soon as the day of uh, his service was completed, that he departed to his own house. Now after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and she hid herself five months, saying, Thus the Lord had dealt with me in the days when he looked, uh, looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. So we see these lots that were being casted coming together right here in the scriptures, in the, in the New Testament. That Zacharias fell into that, that line. His division happened to be here this particular day, being able to be visited by this angel who would bring the news of John the Baptist, who would ultimately herald in our Savior. So God is preparing all of this way in advance that all this was to take place. Just like he knew our lives were going to come here, where we are today, living in 2019, that we would all be placed here. He already knew that from the beginning of time. He knew the courses we would take. He knew the steps we would take. He knew the decisions we would make. And everything was already planned out to be here tonight, listening to his word. God, God is, a, is a God who has a sovereign plan, and he's going to have his sovereign plan will be fulfilled. Sometimes it takes a while. Sometimes it happens overnight. But whatever it does, it, it does happen. Whatever the plan is, it will happen. So moving on to chapter 25. We're going to look at 1 Chronicles 25, verses 1 through 6. It tells us that David selected three men. Asaph, Haman, and Judithan. To organize and lead the music in the public service. In that same passage, we were told that these men had between them 24 sons. Uh, who they then led in ministry, in the ministry of music as well. So this becomes a, a family affair, to say, with these, these three guys, that their sons would go into ministry with them as well whenever they were old enough to do that. Remember, he dedicated 4,000 people to the music ministry. It's quite evident that the Holy Spirit and our Lord is very serious about music and worship. And I've said it before in other sermons, that when we come into the house of God and, and we see these talented guys and girls up here worshiping and singing the songs of the Lord, that we should not take that for granted because that ushers us into the presence of God, that ushers us into the spirit to be able to receive whatever message we're going to get that day. 
And I've seen over time and time again different churches I've been to and people I've known to where they'll come in, and I'm not, no condemnation on anybody if it's happened to you, but they'll come in after the, the praise and worship is over because they really just want to hear the word. They don't want to listen to the songs that are being played and listen to the words that are being sung in worship of their father. And we need to worship our father. We need to take that seriously because it's bringing us into his presence. Being able to, to open our ears and our minds and our hearts to what we're going to receive as soon as that is done. So let's take, God takes this worship and music seriously, we should too. Anything he loves, we should love. Anything he hates, we should hate. And he loves worship. And we should love it too. Also something they're going to mention in here, which is overlooked sometimes in scripture, is that the, uh, the, uh, the music of our holy master, our king, incorporates prophecy into the lyrics and the music that is often sung and used for praise and worship. We may have had times in our own where we've been worshiping God at a service and God just speaks something to you through that song, something that just blesses your heart or speaks of maybe a situation you're going through and it just, it just opens your heart and your mind to the spirit to where you're more alert to what he has to say to you. And music will do that. We know music, secular music, definitely could pull on your heartstrings. There could be a song that comes up that reminds you of something that happened years ago. Brings back the smell of wherever you were at or the, the taste of some food maybe you were eating whenever you were listening to this music or whatever it may be. It brings memories back. So music definitely has uh, an effect on our hearts and our, and our emotions. And, and that's why music is so powerful. It opens, opens you up to, to that realm of the Spirit. And if we let that Spirit, just, the Holy Spirit, just work in us while it's on, it's going to be wonderful for us. So in verse 1 of chapter 25, it says, Moreover, David, uh, David, the captains of the army, separated for the service of the sons of Asaph, of Haman, and of Judathan, who should prophesy with harps, string instruments, and cymbals. And the numbers of the uh, skilled men performing their service was of the sons of Asaph, uh, Zachar, Joseph, Nathaniah, uh, Asherliah, and her sons of Asaph were under the direction of Asaph, who prophesied according to the order of the king. And Judathan, the son of uh, sons of Judathan, were Gedaliah, Zeri, uh, Jeshaliah, Shammai, Hashabiah, and Mattathiah. Six hundred uh, six under the direction of their father, Judathan, who prophesied with the harp to give thanks and to praise the Lord. So we see that each one of these sons set under the direction of their father. So their father's teaching them the proper way to praise the Lord, proper way to use these instruments, the proper way to enter into God's presence. And I think it's wonderful. When music in our service, in our in our service, isn't based on the performance of those who worship, they're not up there trying to perform for your accolades. They're up there trying to perform and to worship God. It's not an entertainment. It's not. It's not. Our, it's not entertainment for us. There's many churches that that's exactly what it is. It's entertainment. They'll hire people to come in and be their worshipers instead of 
letting that worship come truly from the heart of the musician and the singer who's up there. And we got to be careful for that. We got to be able to, to separate that distinction. That when we come to the house of God, we're coming to worship the Lord. We're not coming to entertain or for someone to pat you on the back because you did a good job. Let the Lord pat you on the back. Let the Lord give you praise. Let him give you the glory. But come here to worship the Lord. Don't come here just, just to have entertainment or don't come here to be entertained as we sit in these seats. Come in here to, to, to worship God and to learn from him. That's what we're here to do. It's not about entertainment. In verse 4, it says, And Haman, the son of Haman, uh, Bacchiah, Madaniah, uh, Uzel, Shebul, Jeremoth, Hananiah, Hanani, Eliatha, Gadalti, Ram, uh, can we get this one? Ramatai Ezer, uh, Josh Bekasha, uh, Josh Melathai, uh, Hathor and Mahiazeth. There you go. I think I got that one. Uh, all these were the sons of Haman. The king's seer is the uh, the king's seer in the words of God to exalt his son, his horn, for God had, uh, gave Haman fourteen sons and three daughters. All these were under the direction of their father for the music in the house of the Lord with cymbals, string instruments. Harps for the service of the house of God. And Asaph, Judathan, and Haman were under the authority of the king. So they were basically the king's musicians. They, they, they got their direction straight from the king. Straight from King David, then eventually uh, King Solomon. And we look at Haman, had 14 sons. And I find that I, I, I love seeing this, and, and, and it's, it's hit and miss a lot of time with those who are in ministry. Whenever their children want to follow them into ministry as well. Whenever he's able to juggle the ministry of worship and the music for, 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 for God and still being able to juggle his family as well and do a good job with that as well. And to see that his, his sons wanted to follow into his footsteps. That's an awesome thing to see, to be able to see that passed down. When you have children that have just had that legacy of faith passed down to them. And they grab it and run with it. And we see that here with Haman and uh, the other two music, uh, musicians. Verse 7, it says, So the number of them with their brethren who were instructed in the songs of the Lord, all who were skillful, was 288. That's a lot of people singing songs here. In verses 8 through uh, 31, which we won't read, it says the musicians were also divided into 24 companies with 12 in each. Lots were also determined, were shot to determine where they would play, when they would play, how they would play. So once again, he tried to do it as fair as he could. But one thing I took from these passages is that in 1 Corinthians 14.40, it tells us that let all things be done decently and in order. And our God is about order. He's not about chaos. And we see his temple worship being set up in, the, in order and in, in, in decency. And we see that, that his, he, he expects that from us here in the church, to have order in the church, not to be wild, not to just be a total chaos inside here, but to have a plan and to have a structure for our church service. 
So as, 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 as a direction in the New Testament church, to have things decent and in order, the world will be concerned about what? Chaos. Will be concerned about their position. We talked about the entertainment earlier that some people who do worship or even some of the pastors are worried about their, their position and their title. That's not what we want. That's what the world looks after. The world wants us to, to take hold of our titles and take hold of our positions and brag about them and be boastful about them. But that's not the way of the Lord. The Lord wants us to have humility in doing this. Because it's a privilege to come up here and teach his word. It's not a right. It's not, it's not something I can do of my own fruition. This is something, this is a privilege to be able to do this. It's a privilege to be able to come up here and, and worship the Lord with instruments and with our voices. It's a privilege for us to come and sit inside his house. And we've got to remember that we can't be prideful and brag about those things. We need, to, we need to be humble. First Peter 5, 6 says, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. If you're going to move up in some position, whether it's in a job or whether it's in the ministry, you let him exalt you. It's not for us to do. Amen? All right. Father, we thank you for this uh, message tonight that it teaches us that you are a God not of confusion but of order. And that there is structure to who you are. And uh, may we keep ourselves humble also, Lord, in our, in our walking, in our ministries, Lord. That uh, we, we know that all good and great things come from you. And all things that we are blessed with come from you and not of ourselves, Father. I ask that you would bless each, every, each and every individual here tonight. And I pray for traveling mercies for them. And I pray for those who are not here, Lord, that you would bring blessing to them as well. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.